Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here. We're at Broadcast Central in a temporary studio. Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. But we're in Lafayette, Indiana, on our way to Illinois, Hoopston, Illinois. We'll talk about that more next week as we approach that four-day meeting, Sunday through Wednesday. Looking forward to meeting with many of our WPEO listeners in that region of the world. But we're certainly thrilled to have you along with us. If you can give me 90 minutes, I'm going to give you the world with my six broadcast partners. They'll be covering current events like no mainstream media does, and we'll give you the information needed to understand how God's prophetic word is coming better into focus each and every day. First of all, we're going to go to Ken Timmerman. Ken covers the geopolitical events happening in our world. And Ken, uh, there's a very interesting story that has been front page most of this week. John Kerry supposedly leaking information to the Iranian peoples and their military operation, at least to the foreign minister. However, I understand that you say there's more than a leak from John Kerry. There's some others involved in leaking U.S. security information. Talk to us about that. You know, Jimmy, this is a disgraceful story. And, of course, John Kerry has denied there was any leak, that he made any leaks. But, you know, he has about as much credibility in saying that as Al Capone does in saying he never heard of a mob. John Kerry has really taken a cavalier attitude towards U.S. national security and U.S. national interests since his Vietnam days. I mean, who can forget him in front of the U.S. Senate, you know, talking about how American soldiers in Vietnam, of which he was one, were baby killers, right? And he has always sought to denigrate the United States, to, to slander the United States in international arenas. He did that while he was Secretary of State. And once he was out of power and the Trump administration was in control of our foreign policy, Kerry met repeatedly with the Iranian foreign minister to urge him not to make any concessions to Trump because as soon as Trump was out of office, they would be back to the Iran deal. Now, this latest story says, in addition to that, he also revealed U.S. national security secrets to the Iranians and specifically about Israel's covert operations against Iranian outposts in Syria. Now, what I uh, have been saying this week is that Kerry is not the only person. We now know that three U.S. senators, including Chris Van Hollen of Maryland and uh, Jeff Merkley and Chris Coons of Delaware, all three of them Democrats, met with Javad Zarif, the Iranian foreign minister, and other Iranians at the Munich Security Conference in 2020. And they tried to keep that secret. When it finally leaked out, they admitted, oh, yeah, we had a meeting, but it did not violate the Logan Act because, why, we're U.S. senators and we can do whatever we please. I believe if this is investigated, if Carrie's leaks are investigated by the U.S. Congress, they will discover that other members of Team Biden, people who were advising him on national security affairs in the 2020 campaign, were also in contact with the Iranians, and I think we might learn something about the attack on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad over New Year's in, 20, uh, in 2019 to 2020, uh, when the Iranians actually breached 
Our embassy in Baghdad, they breached the walls with local militias in Iraq, got inside, set fires, and were going to actually storm the embassy if President Trump had not immediately moved 200 U.S. Marines in battle gear up from Kuwait to Baghdad to protect the embassy. Think about what happened in 2012 when that uh, was going on in Benghazi. And what did Obama and Hillary Clinton do at the time? They did nothing. President Trump reacted immediately, saved our people at the embassy. I think uh, if an investigation is done of John Kerry, we may learn more about his involvement or the involvement of other U.S. national security advisors to then-candidate Joe Biden. And I'm not accusing anybody, but uh, this does surely come close to treason, does it not? Well, Jimmy, the problem with the term treason is that when Democrats and the media are in charge, and they are the same thing, uh, it has no meaning any longer. It is treasonous to show up at the U.S. Capitol to raise your voice on January 6th. You are committing sedition uh, and insurrection to speak up for your First Amendment freedoms, because they have stigmatized everybody who came to Washington on January 6th, not just the rioters who breached the Capitol. So unfortunately, that word treason or sedition or insurrection has become so colored by politics as to no longer have an effective or even a legal meeting. That's true. And of course, out of Washington, vocabulary is really changing by the moment, so you're not sure what words really mean, although they do have meanings. Talk to me about the address by the president to the joint houses of Congress. Now, I watched all the way through, and I saw what Tim Scott had to say as well, but I noticed that uh, President Biden did not even mention Israel, the Middle East, or the peace process has been going on out there, which is a major, major geopolitical event. Talk to us about that. He did mention the Abraham Accords, the fact that the previous administration had really brokered historic deals between Israel and four of its Arab neighbors, complete peace agreements, opening trade between them. Amazing, amazing progress. He didn't mention the fact that the U.S. Embassy is now in Israel's historic capital, Jerusalem. He really gave complete short shrift uh, for anything that might be construed as a success by President Trump. And I think this is one of the problems with this regime in Washington today, is that they are basing policy on socialist dictum on the one hand and hatred for Trump on the other. Socialist dictum in all the economic policies uh, that they're trying to put forward and hatred of Donald Trump in doing things like not mentioning the Abraham Accords or undoing all of the policies that Trump had put in place, the negotiations with our neighbors to the South to keep migrants from coming into the United States by getting rid of them uh, through executive order uh, within the first three days of the Biden regime. So uh, I think this is a shame. I think it is uh, not just a missed opportunity, uh, but I think it's, it is just a highly partisan way of governing that doesn't have a lot of future. Ken, there's been reports that Iran has several ships anchored in the Red Sea, not very far off the coast of Israel, southern Israel there at Elat. However, because the Israeli Defense Force fired on those ships, the Iranian army chief is threatening to teach Israel a lesson, a good lesson, after they attacked and targeted these ships there in the Red Sea. Can you give us more information on that particular story? 
Yeah, Jimmy, there's been a covert war, a semi-covert war between Israel and Iran at sea for several months now, uh, where Israeli naval commandos, their equivalent of the naval SEALs, the Shayadet 13, uh, will sabotage Iranian ships either carrying weapons into Syria or carrying oil to Syria. And they have attacked not just in the Red Sea, they've attacked also in the Mediterranean off the coast of Banias, which is Syria's main oil export terminal on the Mediterranean. And in response to that, the Iranians themselves have tried to sabotage, uh, blow holes in Israeli ships, wherever they might be in the Arabian Sea or the Red Sea or any place else. So there is this covert war going on. I got to say, though, <laughs> I would say Israel's going to win it. This is not, uh, this is not an even uh, battle between the two, although it's on a battlefield the Iranians love. They love to these covert operations. They love the kind of attacks that are hard to attribute to them. But the Israelis aren't really worried about attributing the attacks. They know that the Iranians made those attacks, so they just counterstrike. Interesting development in the Middle East between war-torn Iraq and Iran and Saudi Arabia. Iraq, of course, a major player in the end times. Iraq is what we know is ancient Babylon, and we're watching what's going to happen there, of course. But uh, talk to me about this balancing act they're doing in the rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Well, uh, Jimmy, uh, one of the standard themes of international politics is geography. You can't change geography. You might be able to change your alliances, you might be able to change your economy, your friends, but you can't change where you are. And Iraq sits smack in between Iran and Syria and Iran and Saudi Arabia. They don't want to be caught in between those two countries. All during the Saddam Hussein era, Iraq was dominant, right? They were at war with Iran for the first 10 years of the Iranian regime in the 80s, but after that, they were holding them off pretty much. Today, Iraq is in a much weaker state. Iran has occupied a great deal of their territory. They run many government ministries. They hold in fear uh, a lot of the leaders of Iraq. And so the Iraqis have to be very careful. Now, this past week, Javad Zarif, the Iranian foreign minister, came to Baghdad to, to speak with his counterpart and also to meet with Barham Saleh, the, the president, who is a Kurd, somebody I've known for 25 years. Barham is trying to do a balancing act, if you wish, between the Iranians and the Saudis, uh, entering into commercial deals with the Saudis to try to counterbalance Iran's domination of uh, the Baghdad area, the southern part of Iraq, and their infiltration of Kurdistan. So this is a balancing act. It's a tug of war, if you wish, between the two, Saudi Arabia and Iran, to dominate Iraq. We're going to hear a lot more about this, I think, in the months to come. Yes, and we'll hear a lot more from Ken Timmerman as it relates to this entire region and geopolitical events. We report all of this information because all the players we're talking about will end up in end-time prophecy according to the ancient Jewish prophets. More on that when I take a look at the book at the end of today's broadcast. Ken, thank you so very much for being with us. Appreciate these updates. Insight, nobody else is giving, so we thank you for doing that. Thanks so much, Jimmy. It's always my pleasure. God bless. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan standing by. He's got his Middle East news update. 
That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios, Lafayette, Indiana. We're on our way down into Illinois. We'll be there next weekend. More about that as we do the broadcast just prior to that time of teaching the prophetic Word of God. But right now we're going to the Middle East for David Dolan's Middle East News Update. And David, a tragedy taking place this last week. They're in Israel, connected with a very, very special time for the Jewish people, Lach Bomer. Would you take a moment and uh, explain the geographical location of what happened, this stampede, but also what the Holy Day was all about? Yes, Jimmy, it's one of my least favorite uh, Holy Days. It always was in Israel because uh, traditionally bonfires are lit all over the country, and uh, it gets real smoky and it's hard to breathe, but... It's in commemoration of a second-century rabbi, Shimon bar Zakai, who's buried on a mountain in northern Israel, in the northern Galilee area, about halfway between the Mediterranean Sea and the uh, Jordan River up there, called Mount Merom. And every year on uh, Lagba Omar, which always comes just before Shavuot, between Passover and Shavuot, Orthodox Jews from all over the world, but especially from all over Israel, gather on Mount Merom to commemorate the rabbi, and he's venerated. And uh, they dance, they sing, and the fires take place all night. So it's one of those all-night stay-awake things. Well, apparently there was 100,000 people that showed up 
or the event Thursday evening. That's far more than last year, of course, during COVID, and more than normal at any rate. And the police say about three times more than should have been in such a small space. And apparently a couple of the guys fell while climbing up the stairs to the top and fell backwards. And that started a chain reaction, Jimmy, they say, that just caused panic. People were trying to get out, and there was a stampede. And as the reports are saying, 44, 45 dead, probably mostly males. It's mostly men that are at these ceremonies. There's one Canadian we know of, probably some Americans and others from around the world, Orthodox Jews from around the world, and over 150 injured, including 30-some that are very seriously injured, and some of those are expected to pass away. So it's a terrible tragedy. Prime Minister Netanyahu went to the scene on Friday, and he declared Sunday a day of national mourning to commemorate all these people, and special hotlines have been set up, and the rescue work continues. But a real tragedy, uh, very similar to what's happened several times in Mecca during the Muslim Hajj, where there's just so many people. If somebody starts to panic for whatever reason, it can spread quickly and uh, people can die. And that's sadly what happened. Yes, sadly, a tragedy there in Israel. Let's look at some other Middle East news as it relates to the Jewish state of Israel, if you will, David. Israel is bracing for what will follow as Mahmoud Abbas has delayed the Palestinian elections that were set up for May the 22nd. What's happening in the election arena there with the Palestinians? Well, yes, Jimmy, it's very various because basically the Fatah party, the PLO, the ruling party, has called for an uprising in Jerusalem and is commending uh, the rioting that's been going on there for a couple weeks, uh, very intense again this week at certain times, and uh, calling for that to continue. And as you say, blaming Israel for all of this, saying Israel will forbid elections inside of Jerusalem, and therefore they're illegitimate and have to be called off. Well, Jimmy, the first fact is that Israel has not yet announced whether it would permit or forbid elections in the municipal boundaries. It's thought likely they won't permit it, but then again in 2006, they were allowed to go ahead inside of Jerusalem the last time they were held. So we just don't know, but it's uh, certainly been declared, as you said, by Abbas that the elections are off. The real reason many pundits are saying, Jimmy, is we've talked about it the previous few weeks. The uh, Fatah party has basically split apart into three factions, and three men are running to head the area. It's not really a country, but the Palestinian Authority, including Marwan Barghouti, who, as you mentioned before, is a convicted terrorist, is actually in jail, and another controversial uh, Palestinian leader, Dahlan. So... Abbas has a competition. He also sees the polls that show that Hamas is likely to take control of the parliament, as they did in 2006, retake it, and that would weaken his position. So it's thought he's just afraid of these elections taking place because he's going to lose them. But the excuse he's using is this uh, Jerusalem issue, and there's some pretty strong statements coming out from Palestinian leaders this week, Jimmy, encouraging that violence, including one from Abbas himself. So we could be uh, seeing the start of another uh, Palestinian uprising, which would be uh, horrible for the region and for the Israeli people and for the Palestinians and 
and just a mess, but it could well happen. And in support of that, of course, we had the rocket fire from the Gaza Strip that the Gaza leaders were saying was in support of the Palestinians in Jerusalem. Over 40 rockets fired into Israel over the past week, and more are expected. So it's a very hot situation for sure. Two questions from what you've just stated to us, if you will, David. Talk to me about the escalation of violence there in Jerusalem. So you're saying that could lead to war, maybe a third intifada. Well, yes, and, uh, you know, you, you can't probably use the term war in the standard sense, but I was there for both both the first and second uprisings right in the middle of them working for CBS News on both occasions, and they were pretty intense. Uh, you were there for some of that, very intense times, uh, daily killings, daily terror attacks, blowing up of buses and attacks on airplanes and all sorts of things. So it is definitely a terror war. And if indeed the Palestinian leadership wants that and pushes for that, then it will probably happen. Because, Jimmy, basically you have a bunch of young people that weren't even alive in 2000 when the last uprising took place. And they're in their teens now, and they don't remember how awful it got. They don't remember. Their parents may tell them and their grandparents, but it's one thing to see it. It's one thing to experience it. And uh, they're ready to go, it looks like, and there's a lot of young Jews that are willing to fight back against that, and so the clashes have been pretty intense and getting worse. And again, with the rocket fire, we now have a Hamas state, basically, in Gaza, which didn't exist in the year 2000 or in 1989, the first uprising, so it would be all the worse this time, and the Israelis are preparing for this eventuality. And of course, also right now, we have Iran in the background pushing all of this and arming its forces all over the region. So it could well spark a regional war itself. I understand, David, that a member, an Arab member of the Knesset, was caught promoting the Intifada and calling for the Palestinian flag to fly over the Temple Mount. That would really incite things, would it not? Well, yes, and it shows that the support for a new uprising is fairly broad, fairly widespread. Again, the older Palestinians remember the earlier uprisings and how awful they became for everybody, basically, how much blood flowed, and in the end, nothing really changed on the ground. Yeah, periodically, they get that bug in them, and Jerusalem is, of course, the thing that sets the entire Muslim world alight. Nobody wants to see Israeli control up there if they're a Muslim, basically. So, yeah, the push is on. And again, all the top leadership making these statements and Palestinian television, state television, repeating these very uh, fiery statements. And it looks like we're going to have a, a very hot summer. David, talk to me about the Israeli leadership. Did they say anything about President Biden in his address to the Joint Houses of Congress, not even mentioning Israel or the Middle East peace, the Abraham Accords? I don't think, I didn't see anything from any official this week, but there was certainly some press commentary, media commentary on it, Jimmy. And yeah, they're just more and more disappointed in Joe Biden. That's all I can say. They were hopeful that he would be a bit more moderate, that he would, uh, you know, very much promote the Abraham Accords and these sorts of things. But it just seems to many of the analysts that, uh, the new administration is just determined to do everything differently from the previous administration and to pretty much bash 
everything that Donald Trump and his associates did. And uh, it is disappointing to them, but they have so many other problems right now, of course, trying to form a new government and and uh, the the rioting and the rockets and Iran and all of this that, you know, I think there there wasn't much official reaction, but disappointment for sure in the country. And another evidence that political leaders making political decisions do set the prophetic scenario in place to be fulfilled. And that is exactly why we go every single week to David Dolan for his Middle East News update. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk to you again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad is going to talk about May the 1st. Is there significance on this date? You need to stand by. Soviet Jewry was in the balances, and Winky was a part of that activity. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Lafayette, Indiana. Great to have you along with us as we're going to be doing our program from this particular location on our way over to Illinois. And we'll tell you more about that upcoming meeting next week when we get together here on Prophecy Today weekend. I have got the opportunity now to bring Winky Madad to this broadcast table to discuss with me May 1st, May Day. And we want to give you an understanding of the day, its significance, especially in the communist world, like places that you may have heard of, North Korea, we're talking about China, Cuba, and even the old Soviet Union. We'll explain that in just a moment. But Winky, it's great to have you along. Could you give us just a quick background of May Day. What's its significance, not only to the world, but to the communist nations as well? Well, Jimmy, the the forerunner of communism was, of course, the socialist movements that developed primarily in Germany and in France, even before Karl Marx. And it was on the background of, of course, the very difficult situation, which we must uh, admit, I mean, in the industrial centers of England, France, and Germany especially, I mean, there were very long hours, 12 to 14 hours a day. Children were working. It's not anything like what we have today in terms of uh, 
employment insurance or uh, legislation dealing with things going on. And the socialists were very active, and eventually they picked on the day May 1st as uh, a celebration of uh, workers and the right to strike, etc. It never really caught on the United States. We, of course, developed their uh, Labor Day, which is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, still in September. And socialism never really gained a foothold in America. I mean, there's always radicals. But unlike what happened in Europe, and then, of course, along comes the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. May Day becomes the official holiday of communist uh, Russia and everybody else who believed in it including socialist Zionists here in Israel until the 1960s and so, and you could still see the red flags being marched down the streets of Tel Aviv, although dwindling numbers as the years went by until today. It's basically part of the Arab protest that they've adopted, that May Day protest. The kibbutzim, that was a part of a communist belief brought out of Europe into the new Jewish state Israel, was it not? Well, don't forget, Jimmy, historically speaking, the bulk of the early Zionists came either from Russia or from Eastern Europe in one form or another. Poland, Lithuania, and, of course, Ukraine. The lady became Ukraine part of the Russian Empire at the time. And they were steeped in this type of a thinking because that was what was going on. I mean, of course, you can't compare it today because then there was a czar and people were being shot and killed, and they were pogroms, and people were looking for some way to protest. They adopted that. They brought it to the kibbutzim. The kibbutzim became, with a small c, very communistic. But you have to also, there's a difference between communism as an economic or social way of life, and what became, unfortunately, the communist empire, very political, very repressive, that dominated most of the underdeveloped world, including Southeast Asia and South America, up until fairly recently, say 20 to 30 years ago. You and I have been real good friends for a number of years and broadcast partners, of course. And I know a little bit about your history. I understand that you went to communist Russia over into Moscow at one period of your life a couple years back. Well, Jimmy, I mentioned that Russia, Soviet Russia, became very repressive. And one of its methods, or one of the targets of its oppression, was what we call nationalism. That people have a national identity, a national culture, a language, a literature, a history, and if not a religion, traditions and legacy. And communism is opposed to that completely. It's, it's class warfare. You don't belong to a nation. You belong to the workers' class or the owners' class or the industrial class. And along come the Jews, and they have a very strong tradition of national identity with a separate culture, a separate language, separate dietary laws. They go to the synagogue on Saturday and not on Sunday. And so the Jews became a target. And all during the late 30s until the early 80s, Russian Jews had it very, very difficult. They closed down the schools, the synagogues. It was very difficult to celebrate holidays. Circumcision was prohibited. Jews secretly circumcised their, their, their sons. Weddings were very difficult. And 
a Soviet Jewry protest movement grew up in the 60s. I became part of it until I came to Israel in 1970. I went to England in 1975, and I was offered a trip to Moscow. Uh, I'm not going to say I was a secret agent, but I smuggled things in. I spoke to leading figures of the dissident, the, the protest leaders at that time, Sharansky, uh, Slepak, Edith Nudel. Um, I do not think our audience knows these names off the bat, but I think you would agree with me. These were the leading lights of the 70s and 80s of the protest movement in Russia. And I went there. Literally, I took my life in my hands, to tell you the truth. Winky, do you believe that your fight for the Jews in Soviet Russia at that time, do you believe that fight helped bring down communism in what we know as Russia today? The short answer is yes. Uh, we didn't do it alone. I mean, there was uh, Star Wars. There was all sorts of elements going on in, in strategic, global, political, military activities. But we, small as we were, both the protesters, like myself, and the Jewish people as a whole, were chinking away at the Soviet understructure. We held them up to ridicule. We held them up to be what they were, oppressors and repressors and, and putting people in jail. You and I are both old enough to remember that at least the end of the 50s and early 60s, uh, how much went on that was basically ignored. The Hungarian Revolution... What happened in Poland in 1968 with the Gomolka and the doctor's plot against the Jews in 1953, 52, 53. Stalin, we knew who these people were, and most of the world really didn't get too much involved. Russia was an enemy, but they didn't do anything. You know, we had the barbed wire, you had the Berlin Wall on one side, and this is like that. But to take on the Soviet Union in a non-military protest way... I am proud to say we weren't alone, but it was the Jews out there demonstrating for rights of Jews not only to live a Jewish life in Russia, but to come back to be repatriated into Israel. Winky, do you believe that there's still persecution of Jews going on in Russia today? What's happened, of course, is that Russia has become a totally different country. Okay, I'm not saying that Putin, with his KGB background, is not the best of leaders, but in terms of Turning Russia into an economic, industrial, free, relatively free market place is, is vastly different, and therefore it's allowing Jews, more or less, to live a better life there, as they do all over the world. Unfortunately for me, as a Zionist, I would like to see more in Israel. But I, to analyze the situation, to comment on it, I try to be objective as possible, and that's the situation. Well, what you're doing with us here on the broadcast today, I do believe, is so much appreciated by me for my audience, but also for those Jews still in Russia and the ones who have come into Israel itself. And I think a couple of million making their way, making Aliyah or immigrating to the land. Winky, if you will now, let me get a quick update on the elections there in Israel. Is Netanyahu going to be able to form a government, or, or he's out now? Uh, never say he's down and out until he's down and out. That's number one. Number two is it's not looking good. He has not been able to break up either of the two 
right-wing parties that broke away, one led by Gidon Saar, I think it's called the New Hope Party, and Naftali Bennett, who is leading a Yamina uh, to the right party. But there's a lot of pressure on some of the members of the Knesset in both of those parties not to go to a left-wing government with Yair Lapid uh, and even supported by the radical Arab uh, parties. I think I mentioned it in one of the previous programs. If they do so, my guess is they will not come back to the Knesset in any significant numbers. The voters will leave them uh, because, on the one hand, the right-wingers don't want them, and the left-wingers will go to the left-wing parties. They don't need any more right-wing parties anymore. Uh-uh. So, uh, but... Again, uh, he has another, I think it's a little more than a week or so. There's a lot of talking, but nothing that I can tell you that can be signed off on. Yes, nothing absolute as of this moment. I hate to ask, but is there a possibility of a fifth election upcoming soon? Always, Jimmy. You know, the latest joke making the rounds here in Israel this past week was that uh, how can we make peace with the Palestinian Authority? On the one hand, they can't get their elections going. On our side, we can't stop voting in elections. So we're caught in a situation, unfortunately, it'll eventually break out. We're in a situation that Mr. Netanyahu is being placed in a PR negative frame, but the other side just can't get enough votes to overcome him, and he can't get enough votes uh, within the Knesset, of course, in order to become Prime Minister, clear out. So we'll just have to wait. Yes, that's it. We will have to wait and see, and we'll stay in touch with Winky Madad to give us the late information. Winky, your historic mind is unbelievable, and the experiences that you've had over the year, so important in even the day we're living, so that we can understand the past and see how then that's setting the stage for the future to be fulfilled. Thank you very much, Winky. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Right now, we switch regions of the world from the Middle East into Europe and the European Union. The man who covers that for us, John Rood, some 30 years plus living in Brussels, Belgium, he knows the subject and that region of the world very, very well. Uh, John, first question I'm going to approach you with is the European Union making a move to stop funding Palestinian terrorists and textbooks by the Palestinian Authority, which are inciting terroristic activities. That's good for Israel. What made or what motivated the European Union to make that move? There's some depth to the story. The European Parliament, you know, does not have much power, and they have uh, interest groups which have spotted, of course, that the EU has indirectly funding terrorists through Palestinian NGOs or non-governmental organizations. NGO Monitor says the EU in the last 10 years has essentially given 38 million euros to projects that are terrorist-linked. So it's a lot easier said than done. You know, there's talk that the budgeting and the accounting, you know, has to uh, all be checked. But 
honestly, that it can't be done. The European Union budget itself for all of the 27 nations, to the best of my knowledge, it is never balanced. So now they're saying that they're balancing the money that they give to Palestinian NGOs. The accounting system is faulty. So there is a recognition of what's wrong, but this will not be an answer to the entire situation, although it's very positive that there is a show of great concern and an interest to take action. You say the EU does not have much power. They're facing calls, by the way to take action against Vladimir Putin and Russia. What's behind that? Yeah, it's it's the European Parliament that is the weakest of the uh, institutions. The European Commission are the ones that essentially do what they want and hope to get a rubber stamp from the Parliament. Again, this is the Parliament debate that is brought up to uh, strongly condemn Russia. Now, this one has a lot more teeth in it than past movements. Here, the parliament is pushing for sanctions against Russia to condemn Russia and for, uh, obviously, Russia's uh, actions in Ukraine area. But they're actually threatening to suspend the imports of Russian oil and gas and stop the construction of the pipeline, the Nord Stream, exclude Russia from the SWIFT system, which is essentially the entire international transference for finances. So this is... This is big. This is very big because these are the cards that Russia has used to leverage position with Europe. And if they cut the oil and gas, there's a, there's a big dependence there. So uh, the parliament's standing up. Will the commission and others take action? More than words, that's the question. French President Macron is threatening to punish a number of generals, retired generals, I do believe, who signed an open letter warning the French people against radical Islam. I know there's been an influx of Islamic people into the European Union. What about what's happening there in France? France, there's a great tension. Of course, I've lived in France. I speak French. I understand how these situations uh, have arrived. And so, as you say, it is an open letter that has been signed by 25 generals, more than 1,000 officials. I am assuming most of them are in uh, military or, or police positions. So they're actually saying um, the hour is very serious in France. France is in a peril. And then if these groups that, you know, scorn our country can continue to operate, it could actually lead to a civil war. Well, of course, we don't want a statement that's going to accelerate something, but the French president has threatened to punish the generals for the signed open letter that is warning of radical Islam and the possibility of a civil war. But notice that the whole issue of free speech, that's what had infuriated the uh, Islamic population because of the free speech that was used concerning the teacher that was beheaded and other cases. And so it's ironic here that now the president wants to punish the generals for their free speech. How about that? Yes, very, very interesting development there. Looks like the European Union getting pretty active, going after the Palestinian terrorist activities, also headed out to try to shut down Vladimir Putin, and then, of course, uh, going after the Islamic world. 
there in the European Union. Well, these are all key elements of how Bible prophecy is going to be fulfilled and the reason that we bring John Rue to this broadcast table to give us these reports. John, thank you very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you very much. Well, we're going to bring to this microphone at the broadcast table Mike Gendron. Mike is a member of the Prophecy Today family, a broadcast partner with us often. And, Mike, I understand that there was an incident with American Airlines the other day as it relates to your traveling back home. Can you relate what did happen? Yes, I can. It was really shocking, Jimmy. I had just completed a fabulous conference in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I know that you've ministered up there in Wisconsin a lot. But I came back with a spiritual high. We got to the airport, and all of a sudden um, we found out that I had been placed on the no-fly list because of a quote-unquote incident that took place on my flight into Chicago and Green Bay. And there was no incident. I was falsely accused of not wearing my mask. And there's speculation now as to why I was falsely accused. We actually did a report that went on social media, and it's really gone viral throughout the world. We've heard from people just about, uh, oh, 10 or 12 countries that are supporting us and recognizing that this is part of the cancel culture going on in our country and uh, the lack of religious freedom for well-known Christians, and there's speculation that since the flight crew was from Chicago, and that's a hotbed for Roman Catholicism, that possibly one of the flight attendants recognized me from either a TV program or YouTube, and she was retaliating against our ministry, because we never had any conversation with any flight attendant the whole flight, and it was a two-hour flight other than asking for a cup of water and saying thank you and then drinking our water with our mask pulled down. But that was the only time we did not have our mask over our face. And so it was a false report. And since then, we've gotten uh, an email from Corporate Security of American Airlines saying that because of this incident on the flight from Dallas to Chicago, that I am banned from any future American Airlines flights until the mask mandate has been lifted. And so what we're thinking now, of course, is the mask mandate will probably not be lifted while this Joe Biden is president. So it's really um, caused havoc in our flight schedule because, as you know, Dallas-Fort Worth is the hotbed for American Airlines, and we can get pretty much anywhere on direct flights. But it's really been uh, a difficult situation for us. But Jimmy, I'm resting on Romans 8.28, that all things, including this, work together for good to those who have been called by God. And I believe that uh, we've already seen some good that's come out of it. We had a missionary in Italy that contacted us. They had never heard of us, but they heard about the report on American Airlines. So he went on my website, found that we have a lot of good gospel tracts to reach Roman Catholics, and he asked if he could interpret them into Italian. So in one sense, American Airlines is allowing the gospel to go forth in Italy, which is dominated, of course, by Roman Catholics. Wow, wow. That sounds like first century Christianity. It was persecution 
that really spread the gospel around the world. By the way, Mike's ministry is Proclaiming the Gospel, and that website he was talking about, proclaimingthegospel.org, O-R-G. Well, let's talk about your ministry just a moment, Mike. You focus on Catholicism and on Catholic people. Why do you say that Catholics need to get saved? Well, Jimmy, the Roman Catholic Church teaches a false and fatal gospel. It is a gospel of works righteousness. Catholics teach that that the Catholic is saved by water baptism, which is a sacrament of justification and regeneration. But later on, a Catholic can commit what is called a mortal sin, and he's de-justified and must do good works and receive the sacraments in order to be justified again. So a Catholic has conditional life, which is a false gospel. They deny eternal life. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that if a Catholic knows for sure he's going to heaven, he's committing a sin of presumption. So by believing and trusting in the all-sufficient Savior for eternal life, Catholics are committing a sin. And so our heart is burdened to reach 1.2 billion Roman Catholics. We've been doing this for 30 years. I've written a book called Preparing for Eternity that contrasts what the Roman Catholic Bible teaches along with what the Roman Catholic Catechism teaches, and it forces Catholics to make a decision. Am I going to trust Christ and his word for my salvation or the teachings and traditions of my religion? And this book has set so many Roman Catholics free from the bondage of religion. And, Jimmy, you know from... 2 Timothy 2.24, that Satan holds people in bondage. He holds them captive to do his will. And the Bible says only the truth of God's word will set them free. And so in my book, Preparing for Eternity, I set forth the truth of God's word that has set so many Roman Catholics free from the bondage of religious deception. Do you believe, Mike, that any Catholics that are in the Catholic Church today have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior? Well, yes, there are a few, but only by repenting and believing the gospel can they be saved. And, of course, the word repentance is the Greek word for metanoia, which means you must change your mind. So if a Catholic has been embracing the false gospel of Roman Catholicism, they must change their mind. They must repent and believe the true gospel. And once they do, the Spirit of God will move them out of the Catholic Church because it is an apostate form of Christianity. And God seeks worshipers in spirit and in truth, so a born-again believer cannot remain in a false religion. They must come out, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Mike, when you and your team are out witnessing, do you get pushback when you're trying to witness to a Catholic person? Well, yes, we get it um, quite often, because the Roman Catholic Church has indoctrinated its people to believe that Christ founded only one church, and it's the Roman Catholic Church. And, of course, we know that Christ only founded one church, but in the 4th century, the one true church that Christ founded actually broke into two streams. One was the true church, and the other was the apostate church, which developed into the Roman Catholic religion. They set aside the Bible, and they started following pagan traditions, and anyone who wanted to join this new church that evolved into the Catholic Church, all they had to do was go through water baptism. They could bring their pagan traditions and practices in, and that's how the Roman Catholic Church originated. 
and today it still follows those pagan traditions that crept into the church in the fourth century. I know, Mike, that uh, you were at one time Catholic and came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Catholic community is a massive mission field, is it not? And much work needed to be done. It is a massive, massive mission field. It contains over 1.3 billion precious souls. And I really do have a great compassion for them because I was once in their place. And, Jimmy, the nature of deception is that people do not know they're deceived until they're confronted with the truth. And when I opened the Bible for the first time at age 35, I was confronted with the truth. And that's what our desire is, is to get Catholics into the Word of God. Then they will know they've been deceived, and then they can trust Christ and His Word for salvation. And so that is our goal, is to encourage people to get their Catholic loved ones and family members to open the Bible and begin to read it, because only then will they know the truth that will set them free. Friends, that uh, address that you can get some materials, uh, which will assist your witnessing to the Catholic world, is proclaimingthegospel.org, proclaimingthegospel.org. Mike, if we want to stay on top of this situation with American Airlines, I want you to keep us posted. We'll go back on the air if we need to. But thank you for sharing that with us, and we'll be praying for your ministry as you try to win people, not only Catholics, but especially Catholics, to Jesus Christ. Thank you, buddy. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Blessings to you. We're going to have to take a break when we come back. One more broadcast partner, that's David James, will be talking about Jewish evangelism. It's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. If you committed to giving me 90 minutes, giving you my broadcast partners, with the real details, the understanding of current events and how they're setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, you need to have this half hour under your belt as well. Thank you for joining us, and we want to give you the poll question. Poll question is what you can answer. Do that after the broadcast. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, that's on the home page. If you'll scroll down on the left-hand column, you'll find the poll question. Here's the question. Do you believe that Christians must tell lost people about Jesus Christ and give them the gospel for their eternal destiny and at the same time hasten the rapture of the church according to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and verse 12. That's the poll question. Be sure to go to my website, answer the question. And remember that website is a full-service website. On the homepage, we list the top 10 news stories each and every day. We'll give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. If you'll go back and notice the five-minute broadcast and the 10-minute broadcast they're on the home page, which will allow you to have a better understanding of what God is doing in our world today. Don't forget the Prophecy Bookstore as well. 
great materials to help you in your study of Bible prophecy. That's prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. I enjoy so much having a conversation with David. We take an issue that is confronting the body of Christ. We look at it from a biblical and or a prophetic perspective and help you and me and David to be able to understand biblically the issue, and it does then give us a way to walk with the Lord in light of what God's Word says, especially focused on that particular issue. This time we're going to be talking about the Jewish people in God's program and their need for the gospel. But David, before we do that, I don't know if you've ever received an email about a parable before, uh, but we did this week, and it was about an interpretation of the parable of the wheat and the tares trying to disprove the pre-trib rapture. Give us some insight, if you will, David, on this email from one of our listeners. Sure. Well, our listener wrote this. Jesus only explained two parables, the four soils and the wheat and tares. For there to be pre- or mid-trib rapture, the wheat would have to be taken out of the field and the tares left. Then she wrote, the wheat and tares remain to the end of the age, and then the tares come out first and are cast into the fire, and then the wheat harvested Thank you for your answer. God bless. So I'm wondering if maybe someone had tried to convince her and she just wanted to know how to respond. But either way, it doesn't argue against a pre-trib rapture because this is found in a series of kingdom parables in Matthew 13, which makes sense because Matthew is primarily concerned about Israel and the kingdom. And furthermore, the tribulation, which is Daniel's 70th week, is also when God will begin dealing with Israel again. On the other hand, Daniel's 70th week isn't for the church, but Paul makes it clear that the rapture is about the church. So in Matthew 24, in connection with the second coming, Jesus talked about one being taken and one left in the field, and we know that is taking away the judgment because Jesus says it parallels the taking away the judgment by the flood. And so this parable, the wheat and tares, matches that, as Jesus says, the tares are gathered and burned into fire, so it will be at the end of the age. So this gathering is also the judgment, and therefore it can't be the rapture, which is a gathering to a place of blessing. That's a very interesting question. Great answer, David. And I love context, context, context. You always make that statement to me. That's how we interpret any scripture. There in Matthew 24, just before it talks about those taken and those left, it says in verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah. So again, it's context, context, context. I love that. David, I think this listener's email is a good lead into discussing the Jewish people in God's program and their need for the gospel. I wanted to begin with a developing news story about a rabbi who was accused of being an undercover Christian missionary. Well, the Times of Israel has an article from Thursday uh, with this as the lead to the story. They write, an ultra-Orthodox Jewish community in Jerusalem's French Hill neighborhood was in shock on Sunday after a prominent member of the community was reportedly outed as an undercover Christian missionary. And the Israel Today website, which I believe is run by ethnically Jewish believers in Christ, they had an article that said, uh, Michael L. Cohen, uh, who was born as Michael Elk, was already exposed six years ago in another Orthodox community and consequently moved to French Hill, 
where he somehow managed to again hide his identity and went on to say, according to Orthodox news portal Hadre Haradim, the U.S.-born elk entered Israel as El Kohen with four documents showing that he is a Jew. Then churchleaders.com stated that he had served as a rabbi, a priest, scribe, and even a mohel with someone who performs circumcisions. And that article also noted that his children attended Orthodox schools, and only when a daughter recently slipped up and mentioned Jesus to a classmate did the organization make its investigation public. And then they, we know that a member of their community accused Elk of deceiving them, and this was because when the wife recently died of cancer, community members collected tens of thousands of dollars for the family, and she had apparently claimed to be a descendant of Holocaust survivors, but it's been said there's no proof of that. So then, David, a couple of questions about this guy's approach. What do you think about how he was going about this, and does Israel really have a legal case against him based on the facts of what we know about Israel's stand on proselytizing? Well, apart from the legal issue, which I'll get to in in a minute, I, I think there is an ethical issue if these reports are accurate. Some might try to justify his actions with 1 Corinthians uh, 9, 19, and 20, where Paul said to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews, become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. But we know that Paul didn't mean being deceptive because uh, he confronted Peter for hypocrisy when Peter acted like he didn't want anything to do with Gentiles when the Jewish leadership came around. And to be honest, I think Jews tend to be more offended by Gentiles who try to act religiously Jewish by keeping the feasts and the dietary laws and just being up front. And it depends on the details as to whether Israel has a case against them. The lawoffice.org.il website, so based in Israel, has a missionary activity in Israel page that cites the Israeli Declaration of Independence where it says that Israel will ensure complete equality regardless of religion, race, or sex, and guarantees freedom of religion, and will safeguard the holy places of all religions, and it's legal to express a person's religious beliefs. Now, the exception to this is what's known as the missionary law that forbids proselytizing by means of material benefit or persuading or encouraging minors under 18 to change religion without the consent of both parents. Jimmy, I know you were involved with the church plant there in Jerusalem, and uh, you guys did a lot of outreach, and and, uh, I'm sure you had to be aware of those things as well. We did, David, and we did establish a church, Kehilah Jerusalem, which translated means the Jerusalem Assembly. We were involved in Jewish evangelism, but we were very straightforward. Never did we use subterfuge. In fact, we would encourage our church members to invite their friends, Jewish friends, to church. And when they came to church, they did hear the gospel. They had an opportunity to either receive or reject that gospel based on their own willingness to come to church of their free will. Another thing we did, David, was home Bible studies. The man who is now the senior pastor there at the church, Menno Kalashir, has written a book on Jesus in the Old Testament. So he would go to these home Bible studies. Their people in the church would invite their friends in. He would teach it and bring the Jewish people to a conclusion 
that in the Old Testament was talking about Jesus Christ. We also went into the marketplace. We purchased signs on public buses. We put up billboards. We had bumper stickers on our vans. Now, we didn't have buses, but we used vans to help pick up people who wanted to come to church. And what we would do, we had bumper stickers all over the vans. We would stop and park at a very busy intersection so people would have to read what's on the banner. And then, of course, we encouraged our people to do person-to-person evangelism. But never, never did we encourage anybody uh, to use subterfuge to lie about or to so-called go undercover. That was key. We wanted to be totally honest, totally above board as we communicated Jesus Christ to our Jewish friends. Yeah, well, that's uh, great to know about. Uh, I have known about Menno for a long time, and he taught for us in Hungary for many years, a great teacher. David, there's a view called dual covenant theology that we've talked about a few times. Can you explain what that is and how you would respond to it? Because it affects how we think about evangelizing the Jewish people. Well, Jimmy, dual covenant theology says that Gentiles are saved through the new covenant, but Jews can be saved through the Mosaic covenant, and and so they don't need to be evangelized with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, which is wrong. Although we in the Church derive spiritual benefits from the new covenant through our relationship with Christ, Jeremiah 31 makes it very clear that the new covenant is to and for Israel, not the Church, and it will find fulfillment in the Millennial Kingdom. Also, salvation has always and only ever been by grace through faith and has never ever been through observing the law of Moses. And yet dual covenant uh, theology says that salvation must be by a combination of faith and works for the Jews, which I would say is heresy. And then finally, in Romans 9, Paul notes all of the advantages that the Jews had throughout history. And I think part of his point was that if anybody could have been saved apart from hearing, understanding, and believing the gospel of Christ, it would have been the Jews of the first century. But in the next chapter, Paul says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and also that there's no differences between Jews and Greeks in this regard, so all must hear the gospel. And Jesus had told Jews before the cross that no one comes to the Father except through him. Well, all that being said, David, we know that the Jews still have an important place in God's program. So biblically, how do they get from where they are today to the place of blessing in the future? Well, Jimmy, of course, the Jewish people uh, continue to reject that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Son of David, their Messiah, and the Savior. And, and God has set them aside until Daniel's 70th week begins in the future, and God starts dealing with them again. And during that time, God's going to pour out his judgment on both them and the Gentile nations for their rebellion against him. And At the same time, because of that, many Jews will turn to him, including the 144,000 who come to faith, who are skilled, and who proclaim the gospel. And then when the Antichrist breaks the Daniel 9 treaty and turns against Israel, God will supernaturally protect the nation. And there will be those who still refuse to believe, and as I mentioned earlier in Matthew 24, where Christ talks about those taken to judgment when he returns, those who remain will go into the millennial kingdom. So this taking away the judgment actually creates a situation such that 
for the first time in history, every living Jew on the planet will be a believer, and thus fulfill Paul's words in Romans eleven twenty six, where he says, and so all Israel will be saved. And this will allow that generation to experience the fulfillment of the Abrahamic, the land, the Davidic, and the new covenants, and they will become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, as the Lord says, is their ultimate destiny and purpose in Exodus 19.6. Great information, David. I would only add one thing. When I talk with Steve Herzig of Friends of Israel, he always is telling me, do what you do with the Jewish community with love and just open your heart to helping to meet their need, get them to ask questions of you. So a great opportunity is available for many to be able to share Jesus Christ with your Jewish friends. I think it was a great conversation today. Thank you so much, David. Appreciate it. Hey, we'll have another one next week. Hope you can join us. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to it. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, everything our broadcast partners had to say is key, and I'll open the Bible to see how it fits into the prophetic scenario found in God's Word as we take a look at the book, It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, I brought my broadcast partners to the broadcast table to give us reports which have been very helpful 
to understand what is happening in our world in advance of Bible prophecy being fulfilled. You know, mainstream media is not covering the news the way my broadcast partners have today. It is key for us to join each and every week together to hear the reports from my broadcast partners. I want to thank you so very much for doing that. We are so glad to have you each and every week. And by the way, if you had to miss any of the conversations that I had with my broadcast partners, be sure to go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's on the right-hand column as you scroll down. There we have archived all of these conversations so that you can listen at your convenience. And be sure to tell a friend or a family member about what you heard today from my broadcast partners. Now, if you'll allow me, I want to take a little bit of time to give you my prophetic perspective on all of these news reports. Ken Timmerman covers the geopolitical world for us, and we talked about President Biden and his failure to mention Israel and the Middle East peace process in his speech to the joint session of Congress. You know, if you want to understand this world, you need to keep your focus on Israel and the Jewish people. God's plan all focuses on what he has in store for the Jews, and in particular, the city of Jerusalem. Any world leader must be aware of that region of the world and what God's plan for that region is. If you do not understand that, you will not understand the world. And remember Revelation chapter 17 Verse 17 says that the Lord is going to put into the hearts and minds of political leaders to make political decisions that will set the prophetic scenario found in God's Word in motion. That is key for your understanding even as you pray, as the Bible tells us to, for these world leaders. David Dolan with his Middle East News Update is essential for any student of Bible prophecy. We talked with David about how Israel is bracing for what's going to happen after Mahmoud Abbas canceled the Palestinian elections. It was back in 2006 when the last Palestinian elections took place. That is not good for any people not to be able to elect their leaders for that long period of time. Mahmoud Abbas had a ulterior motive for canceling these elections. He's behind in the polls. He needed an excuse, and now he's blaming Israel for not allowing Palestinians who live in the eastern section of Jerusalem to be able to vote. Well, Israel has not said that will happen. In fact, they were allowed to vote back in 2006. Remember Malachi chapter 1. Ezekiel 35, and the little book of Obadiah. When you're thinking about the Palestinian people who the Lord said will return, he will call their borders the borders of wickedness. 
these Palestinian people will rise up, kill the Jews, and steal their land and their destiny. God will wipe them out as if they have never been. Winky Madad came to the broadcast table to give us an election update. This fourth election does not seem to be coming together. They may go to a fifth election sometime this year. That would be five within a three-year period of time. By the way, Israel's enemies are watching very closely an unstable Israeli government, the worst it's been in several decades. John Rood covers the European Union for us, and he talked about the European Union facing calls to take action against Russia and Vladimir Putin. Remember, the European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, a major player in the end times, that's Daniel chapter 7. And Russia will be the leader of the Islamic alignment of nations that tries to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That's Ezekiel 38, verse 2. Both the European Union and Russia, today very powerful, in the last days a prophetic scenario will unfold involving both the European Union and Russia. John's weekly reports, very key to our understanding. Mike Gendron was put on a American Airlines no-fly list, and it may have been because of his ministry to Catholic people. As Christians, we must give out the gospel. The only reason for no rapture as of yet is Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord says, I'm not slack concerning my promise, but not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know me. Not only Catholics need to know Christ and have salvation, everybody without Christ needs to hear the gospel. In fact, David James and I had our conversation focusing on evangelization of Jewish people today. There are many of us who are afraid to approach the Jewish people. They think they know so much about the Bible, and it scares us to talk to them. Don't be afraid. The approach must be through love, however, and do not be deceptive. No subterfuge. Be straightforward. Always be truthful as you give the gospel out. Remember, the Bible is powerful. In my conversations with both Mike and David, we were talking about people who need to get saved. We as Christians must give the gospel out. You know, the only reason for the rapture, I mentioned it just a moment ago, the reason it has not happened yet, it's Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. He's not slack concerning his promise, but not willing that any should perish. But also remember Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, where it says, We can hasten the rapture happening as we lead people to Jesus Christ. And in fact, that rapture could happen today. So please be a soul winner. And as you are trying to win people to Christ, keep looking up for the rapture on two. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.